So we're in part five, relationship. What is the nature of a relationship with God? The very first of our series anchored on what did God create us for or why did he create us? He created us to have a personal relationship with him and he created us for his glory. Second message in this was what is the importance of that relationship? The importance of the relationship is that Christ died for you to buy you back to himself, to redeem you to himself. The next message was, what is the nature of that relationship? And on that third point, really all the other messages until we talk about uh, human relationships, all the rest of these uh, fall under this banner of what is the nature of your relationship with God. And the first in that was, it is a reflection. It is a reflection of God's image in you, that God made you in his image The ultimate end for believers is that we're going to be transformed to the image of Christ and that God is in the life of every believer calling us to holiness, which really is a reflection of God's character in our lives. So it was a message based on your relationship is a reflection of God's relationship with you. It is personal, and that is his love is personal, personal to you because Christ loves you specifically. He came to save you specifically, and he made you on purpose. And everyone in this room is made on purpose. My wife and I were just talking this morning about the differences in people, and really in that conversation, the differences between ourselves. And um, really learning to respect and love each other because you have value because Christ died for you, and you may not be exactly like I am, I'm not exactly like you are, but God loves you and he wants to save you. And if you're a brother or sister in Christ, you're in the same family and uh, you might as well start practicing getting along now. And uh, it's often been said, the greatest miracle that'll ever take place is when we stand in glory together and we're all at peace with one another. You know, I don't know the first reaction is going to be, he's here? (laughs) Someone might be saying that about you, you know, I don't know. Um, but it's, it, is a, it is a personal relationship. And we can't stress that enough, and I think it's a part of almost every service that we have, if not every service that God is calling each one of us into that relationship with him. This next message, and some of these may sound similar, but I think you'll appreciate the difference and why I'm taking time to emphasize these as points, okay? So last week is... The relationship or the nature of the relationship is that it's personal. Today, part five, the nature of the relationship is that it is intimate. It is an intimate relationship that God has with his children. And we're going to explore that, unpack that together today. But I'm going to say this morning that I think each one of these messages are incredibly necessary Because many people are walking this planet trying to figure things out, and I believe it's possible trying to figure things out that if you're focused in the wrong area, you can wander through life broken all your life. You certainly can. And and, and we're all sinners, okay? So we're not not making a claim here that there there are people who are in some way less needy than others. We all need the Lord. And we all need his grace. Each one of us needs to know him as Savior. Each one of us needs to know what it means to have a relationship with him. And I believe that this message is is very important for us, 
built on the idea that God wants you to know him personally, but what about your intimacy with God? What does it mean to have a relationship with him? And I believe this concept of our relationship is intimate with him is incredibly important because many of us miss the boat on what it means to walk with God. Is that historical, by the way? Did, did the Pharisees ever miss the boat? I was listening to my wife talk through her lesson uh, and walk through her lesson this morning, and she was talking about the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, uh, you know, great study there. But one of the things that she was talking about in the lesson was, did the, was God pleased with the fact that the Pharisees added all kinds of laws to what it meant to walk with God? And that's a great question, right? Because the doctrine of the Bible has something to say to that. But I'm convinced that the Pharisees aren't alone, that you and I can have the same tendency. We can set up all these things in, about this is what it means to walk with God. And by the way, all those things aren't illegitimate. They aren't illegitimate. They, as we're going to see, God is going to want to touch every aspect of your life. But I think we also have to know this. God is at work with every one of us. And we're not a finished project yet. God is still working on each one of us. Can you agree to that? Okay. Now, we might have a moment of agreement here, and I hope we all do. But I think sometimes there's still this sentiment, yeah, but he's working on them more than me. <laughs> I kind of look at it like these uh, Pinewood Derby cars. Uh, work, 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 paint, 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 you know, and, and, and keep tweaking with them and trying to get them. And I, I, I'm just going to tell you, my memory moving forward of 2021 Pinewood Derby is that I won. That's my memory. Uh, <laughs> Come on, it's a postmodern world. Create your own reality. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, this idea of intimacy is important for you because, and it's important for me because I, I, I lived for, I, don't, I really don't know when I started to learn. And I don't, I don't mean to disrespect the discipleship I had before coming to some of the things I'm going to share this morning. I believe discipleship is a lifelong process. If you don't know Christ, God called his disciples to go out and make disciples. So I believe discipleship is actually involved in reaching the lost. That's actually discipleship. You're leading and teaching someone to know about Jesus, but it, it never stops. So when I got saved, what are some of the things you learn when you get saved that you need to do? Well, there are many things. Uh, I think the very first of which, at least, should be very high on the list, is if you're, if you're saved, not baptized, you need to be baptized. Amen. Amen. Because God said so. And uh, it's, uh, that is the number one reason people are baptized, because God said his children should follow him in believer's baptism. You then start learning about being a part of a church and, and being faithful at church and trying to be a part of Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and midweek service so that you can be in the Word and be around other believers and grow. And I, I would say that coming to church is, you know, opening the Word of God together is a big part of what we do. But I'm also going to say a big part of what we do is interact with each other biblically. Where we're all talking about directing and leading each other's lives in edification 
to be followers of Christ and, and encouraging each other to do so. It's about growing together as we anchor in the Lord and his word. But it never stops. And I remember one of the, the processes of growing that I learned I needed to read my Bible every day and have devotions. And is that true? Should you read your Bible? Should you pray? Do you feel like you could do better at both? Yes. And by the way, uh, I think it's a growing thing to learn that, that you're never going to reach a plateau. Hello, you're never going to reach a plateau of some spiritual plateau where you don't need to be in the Word. You're never going to reach a place in your life where God's not going to call you to pray. But here's what I want to want to challenge you about a little bit. Sometimes in our relationship with God, we put these things together, and, we, and, and I do think they're good and they're right, and there's reasons we teach them. But I, I, I remember... Many times thinking that my relationship with God, well, these are the components that give me that relationship with God, and certainly they're a part of it, but many people believe that if you've had your devotional life, you've gone to church, you've kind of ticked off your box, okay, I walked with God. And it was quite a, a, a discipleship moment in my life. When I began to understand that walking with God meant having a relationship with him all day long. And not just a moment here and not just a moment there, but all day long. And I want to speak to that some this morning. And I think it'll be clear in these passages. Look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Now, the Lord does say that there is a proof of loving him, and it is true that many in this world say they love the Lord, and they do not. I'm going to say it out loud. Many say they love the Lord, and they do not. And there's only two ways that you can reconcile why someone would say that, and they really don't, and one is they think they do, or two, they're lying, and I found both to be true. Now, this passage says, if, in verse 14, if you love me, if you love me, what does he say? Translated, I'm going to say as you bear this passage out, it's going to say, be a follower of my teachings, okay? And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, capital C there, that he may abide with you forever. And now that comforter is going to be identified even the capital S, Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, would you read that last phrase out loud, and shall be in you. So the intimacy that I want to anchor on this morning that is really important for all of us to know that no relationship on the planet can be as close to you as a relationship with God. All your other relationships are external. It doesn't mean that you don't have feelings one towards another. It doesn't mean that you don't love each other or care about each other. But nobody else can truly be inside of you. I've said often, my wife and I celebrated recently uh, 27, this is our 27 years of marriage, and uh, again, seems like a, 
a way yonder way to get to 65 and 72, but in that journey, I've often said, if there was anything that I could have done differently, I wish I would have been able to grow up with my wife. I would have gotten to experience life with her from the youngest years and just know her life growing up because I love her and I care about her. And as much as I do, even in our married relationship, and this is going to come out in time as we talk about human relationships, uh, I cannot know her like God knows her. And she can't know me like God knows me. As much as you love each other, you just cannot know another person like God knows them. And the significance of this passage is that it teaches that God, for his children, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, he gives you his spirit to actually live inside of you. And the doctrinal import of that is that everywhere you go and at all times, the Holy Spirit is in relationship with you. Now, that's really important to know. And it's not the only place that this is taught, and we're going to explore this further here in just a moment. But the idea is that there is a dwelling place, a residence that God has, and it is in you. Take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and you'll see this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 teaches again about the Holy Spirit. It teaches about his relationship with his children. And what you find is that there's not a time out in relationship with God where you have put him in a closet or he's, uh, you've left to go do your thing. Uh, he is always involved and in the life of the believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your what? Your body is what? The temple of who? So the idea of the temple was the dwelling, the residence, the continual habitation of the Holy Ghost. That's what's being said. Now, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. It is doctrinally the design of God. All right, time out here. Everybody's got to pay attention to this. There are doctrinal sets out there that are going to teach you that you can have more of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to tell you it's false doctrine. I'll say it again. You may not agree, but just open your Bible, walk with me, and you'll see it's not my interpretation. It's what the Bible says. When you get saved, you have all the Holy Spirit you will ever get. Because he does not give to Mike, who's a deacon, he doesn't give you 15% of the Holy Spirit and give me 10. He gives me 15 and gives you 10. No, he doesn't. Um, he, <laughs> uh, that is not how, that's not how it works. You have all of the Holy Spirit you will ever get when you get saved. He does not compartmentalize himself out to say, this one needs me more than that one. This one has more issues than that one. I'm going to tell you, I said it already, we probably, all of us have more issues than people know. Probably more than we know. But the nature of the Lord is to indwell 
the believer as a gift of God. And what he has given is he has given himself to live inside your body. Now, there's a direct doctrine that we need to know. Hello, you got to stay with me. You then, according to the principles of Scripture, are not your own. So God doesn't save you to just set you out to go live life. And he certainly doesn't save you to set you out to go live life without him. Our lives, if we're going to see, as we're going to see in these passages, are now made with an intimacy that upon knowing Christ, he owns all of us, every area of our lives, and we come to know this, and this is, by the way, why we do not teach lordship salvation. Some people have said, and I don't take great issue necessarily in its explanation initially, I just take time as I talk to young believers, when people get saved, not everybody even understands lordship salvation or lordship of Christ when you get saved. But every believer will be dealt with about the lordship of Christ when you are saved. In other words, he will deal with each one of us to reconcile in our hearts that he is king over all. That every area of our lives need to be surrendered to him. Areas that we may not even know initially when we get saved. So don't put the cart before the horse and say, well, I got to clean up this area and clean up this area and clean up this area before I get saved. Get saved and let the Lord do his work. And by the way, can I say this? Are you with me? Please, I hope. Give each other grace in the process. That person looks this way and person acts that way. Have you ever heard a believer swear? Yes, I have. And sometimes we throw down a hammer and say, oh, they're, they're probably not even saved. You know, give some grace. I have such confidence in God that if you're his child, he will work in your life. He will work in my life. By the way, should there be a change? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you bet. Yeah. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. Okay? And you are not your own, for you are bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, who owns it? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, here's something that, all of us, all of our lives are going to struggle with. And it's because we are individuals. God has given us a will. God has given us the opportunity to make choices. And this morning, you're making a choice of whether or not you're going to be saved or not. You're making a choice of whether or not you're going to give God your life or not, or whether you're going to be in agreement with God owns all of me or not. And as you leave this place today, you're going to be challenged with that as you walk the planet, as you live your life. You're going to be continually challenged this way. And here again is the confidence that I have in God. Wherever you're at as a believer, he does not stop. He continually, continually draws you into fellowship with him. He's continually at work doing this because he's made you with a relationship in him 
and with him, so much so, are you ready? So much so that he's taking you as a place of permanent residence. You ever had a house you didn't really care for? Ever had a house that needed more work than you had energy for? You ever had to live someplace and as you live there you're thinking, okay, <laughs> I'm not so sure I'm excited about this opportunity, but here we are. What's the Lord getting when he gets you? What's the Lord getting when he gets you? Is he stepping inside of your life and going, oh, wow, <laughs> look what I've got now. <laughs> or does the Lord say, there's a lot of remodeling to be done here. <laughs> you, ever, you, ever, you ever get to a house where you think the best thing to do is just tear it down and start over? I want, to, I want you to really understand this. That's exactly what God is doing in us. He's tearing down what it means to live apart from him and building up what it means to walk with him. So committed is he to this that doctrinally the Holy Spirit does not leave the life of a believer. Now, many times people think, yeah, 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 but wait a second, Pastor Jeff, what about Ephesians 5.18? I'm going to remind you that Ephesians 5.18 is, is not about how much of the Spirit you have. It's about control. Ephesians 5.18 says, and be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The contrary of both is the picture there as wine, or I should say the similarity is, is the picture there as wine or alcohol controls the life of a person who imbibes in it and is under its influence. So is the case of every believer that we are to be under the influence of the Spirit at all times. Are we? Well, here's what I want to tell you. We may not be doing our part, but God is doing his. He is always at work in the life of the believer. Now, you're probably tired of this verse because I give it all the time. But another verse I want to share with you in this intimate relationship with God is Galatians 2.20. It happens to be one of my life verses. And it's, it, it summarizes well what it means to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Galatians 2.20. I'd encourage you to memorize it if you haven't yet. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul writes, he says, I am crucified with Christ. There's a union there. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Uh, how's it say it again? <laughs> Blow it. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ 
lives in me. So it's important for you to know doctrinally, all right, eyeballs please, because this is more pastoral than, you know, um, maybe walking through a passage. I want everybody to kind of understand this. Uh, And I'm going to say some things that you, I think, should already know. Are you everything that you're supposed to be? I'll answer no. And some of us then think, okay, I'm not everything I'm supposed to be, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed, and you give up on your walk with God. Or you sometimes think, well, what's the point? I'm just tired of being a failure. I'm tired of every, every time I try, it seems like it doesn't work. You know what? I, I want to remind you, the constancy of our relationship is not because of us, it's because of him. First Peter tells us in 1 verse 5, we're kept by the power of God. God knows that you fail. I also want you to know this. God does not give up on you. And God wants you to walk in a fellowship with him. So I've got a short time to share this next thing. The relationship is intimate, but so intimate is relationship that it is then also described in at least the words I'm going to use. It is constant. So I'd like you to take your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. So God wants you to know that his person dwells within your life. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what you're thinking today. He knows where your mind is today. As I'm preaching this message, he knows how you're reconciling this message to your life or not. God knows it far better than anybody else on the planet because he's in you. So it's intimate, but it's also constant. So doctrinally, what we see is in John chapter 15, there's truth about abiding in Christ. And there are some things that we need to reconcile to our lives about abiding in Christ. So in John 15, verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do what? So you need the Lord every day, all the time, at all times. How quickly do you need the Lord when you wake up? Just ask your spouse how quickly you need the Lord. My feet don't touch the ground before I need the Lord. And I don't think I'm unique. Matter of fact, I know doctrinally I'm not. I know that God is at work in your life. I'm going to say even when you're asleep. But he's, in your awareness, he's with you the moment you're awake. And he's working in your life there. He's working in your life all the way through the day. And when you put your head on your pillow at night, he is there continually working in your life. And the word here is abide. To abide is to have a place of residence, a place of dwelling, a place that you call your own. There is a place where you go to. And that place in Christianity is a person. God has called you to walk 
with that person and to abide in him constantly. And what we would say from this abiding in me, it simply means without ceasing. Now, that's why you have a passage. If you want to turn here, you can. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And that's a snippet of that passage that you could expound more upon. But you know the passages. It would be where we read, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning who? You. Well, how do you pray without ceasing? How do you rejoice evermore? How do you give thanks in everything? You cannot do this without abiding in him. It is a constancy. The Lord wants to be a part of your life all the time. All the time. He's always influencing your life. He's always drawing you into relationships. So it is constant in the fact that he's abiding in you. It says in this passage of 1 Thessalonians 5 as an example that it is constant and that it never ceases, that there is a constancy of prayer, there's a constancy of rejoicing, there's a constancy of giving thanks. It is all about relationship. You're really talking to the Lord all the time under his influence all the time. Now, another passage describes this constancy as a walking. So there are actually several here. I'm going to give you Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, and then break out into Galatians for a moment. But Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, I'll read it unto some of you returning, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, the phrase ends out there, so walk ye in him. Now he is abiding in you, but he calls us to walk in him. And to walk in him. Now let's, let's just anchor this for a moment. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a follower of Christ. So when we talk about what discipleship is or what a disciple is, it is someone who's made a decision in their life that I am going to follow Christ who is my Lord, who is my Savior. I have made and I am continuing to make this decision that I am going to dwell in a cohabitation with the Lord every day of my life, every moment of my life, I need to, as it says here, walk in him. Now, walk in Colossians 2, 6, at least in part, has been described this way. is to walk as reference to walking with a companion. It's like walking with a friend. And this will actually bear out later on in our series here. But it is to just be in the presence of someone who's a friend who's around you, who, who has a friendly discourse to life, someone that you enjoy being around, someone who is simply in your presence. Now, by the way, uh, I'm going to argue this later in our series, but God has made us for relationships. And when you know the Lord, you're going to want to be drawn into that relationship. You're also going to want to be with other believers. 
And it's a very common experience amongst believers who love each other that even when you spent a lot of time with each other, you wished there was more. Except for when they beat your car and all that stuff. But uh, there's this desire to be around, to be around, to be around. I say, I say this, now listen, this is important to know. Every one of us is a bucket with holes. There's only one person who can fill those holes, and it is the Lord Christ. So if you're looking for somebody else to be the one who's going to finally fulfill your life, you will never find it. Now, that, that does not mean that you can't appreciate being married and, and, and enjoy marriage and, and have completeness in marriage in the sense that God's given you a companion. But again, we're made for this relationship with him where he is the only one truly that can meet the depth of the need of relationship that we long for. He says for us, that there is a decision that we need to make to walk in him. Now, Galatians 5.16, again, many of you know this one very well. It says, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill what? So walking the spirit versus walking the flesh are mutually contrary the one to the other. And we're making decisions daily. Are we going to walk in fellowship with him? Are we going to walk under his influence? Are we going to walk in friendship with the Lord? It also says in Galatians 5, in verse 26, if I have the right verse, let me see. Verse 25, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, and have, are, are we living in the Spirit? Do we have life through the Spirit when we come to know Christ? Doctrinally, yes. So he's arguing if we have life or live in the Spirit, alive in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, something else that we all should know here, and I think you know it experientially, does the Lord ever change your behavior? I hope you can say yes to that. Does the Lord change your behavior? Do you ever do something and you, and you immediately know, the Lord is not pleased with what I just did? You certainly know it when someone does that to you. The Lord is not pleased with what you just did. We have this sense of knowledge because the Lord is always there. We have this sense of knowledge as we are aware of our relationship with him. Now, I'm going to drive down to eventually talking about husband and wife relationships. But before I do, I just want to again remind you of the similarity in this. There are, and I have to be careful about this illustration because as, as light as we can make it, as fun as we can make it, or funny as we can make it, there are people who are living in this kind of a relationship and it's not funny. What happens when husbands and wives get upset with each other? Well, besides the manifestations of all kinds of flesh, it can be yelling, it can be slamming, it can be whatever, it can be all kind of ugly. But also what becomes common is a distance that grows. I don't know who is supposed to be uh, 
by gender the one who is more driven this way because I've seen it both ways. You ever heard of the silent treatment? It is a carnal manipulation of someone's life to somehow think, well, I'm going to make you feel bad enough that you will finally kowtow to what I wanted and, and, and I'll kind of beat you with silence and then finally you'll be so sorry that you'll, that's a horrible way to live. Hello? It stinks. And if you're living that way, I'm sorry and we need to talk and you don't have to stay there. But it's going to be based on your relationship with the Lord. But just as you have those moments of, of disconnect, you can get disconnected from your relationship with the Lord because you start shutting him off. And you start saying, Lord, don't talk to me about that now. I want to do my thing. Lord, no, I want to do my thing. Lord, no, I want to do my thing. Now, I want to say something about that. It's my belief doctrinally that the Lord never stops. You may have broken the relationship, but he is still there because he is faithful working in your life. If you're a believer, his spirit is not going to stop drawing you. It's an intimate relationship because he calls us to actually walk with him. Lastly, it's Hebrews 13, 5, and I've already alluded to it. This passage basically is talking about covetousness and the idea of looking for other people's stuff to be happy and to be content. So it says in the first part of the verse, Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. But then he goes on to understand relationship with the Lord in this. And he says, for he has said, I will never leave who? He says thee, and he's talking about you, his child. And he goes on to say something else he won't do. I won't leave you, nor will I. All right, now, I thought about starting the message with this, but I'll, start, I'll, I'll just give it now. And I don't, you don't, doesn't need any, any raise of hands here. Most <laughs> of us in some fashion have understood broken relationship, okay? It's, it, there, is a, there is just a reality of that in life. And it can be through divorce, it can be death, and it can be distance. Distance is the last one. And what I mean by that is, again, no matter humanly who's involved in your life, we understand that there can be a, a separation and sometimes there are very big circumstances that make that happen. And sometimes it's someone moving away. And sometimes it's someone deciding, well, I'm not going to be coming or I'm not going to be around. And this distance. I just want to argue back to this point. A relationship with the Lord is different than any human relationship can experience. It is a relationship that simply never stops. And to walk with the Lord is to walk continually, forever, always with an idea. The Lord loves me. He's made me for a purpose. 
He's valued me to draw me to himself. He's got a plan for my life. He's doing something. I have hope because I have a relationship with him. Now, again, I want to say that many people go through life never understanding this relationship, and your walk with the Lord very much can look simply like a religion. You go to church, you clean up yourself, and at least in front of other people, and you, you start doing this and doing that and doing the other, and you kind of have your check marks of, okay, I have a walk with God. Now, this isn't disassociating saying that God doesn't deal with those things, but your life was made to have a relationship with God. And for his part, it's, a, it's more intimate than anything you will ever know. And I want to tell you something about this. And I know our time is done. But for me, this really changed my life and my growth as a believer. When I began to understand the depth of God's commitment to me, and what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and what it meant not to stress so much over, did I do this right, or did I do that wrong, do I need to do this, do I need... Here, here's what you can count on God to do. God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to grow you to look like him. And he's the one that does it. Now, do you have a part to play? Yes. Your part to play in this service and with this message is to live in that relationship, to live surrendered to him, to live as a friend with God, to live caring about him, growing in him. And I want to tell you something about that. When you get your eyes on Jesus, he begins to fix everything. I'm going to tell you that one of the constancies I was taught as a young preacher, whenever a church is divided, do you know what you do? You preach Jesus. Whenever a church is divided, you get your eyes off of those issues and you get your eyes on Jesus Christ. Now, that advice given to the church is an advice that's good for marriage, it's good for brothers and sisters, it's good for the church family, it's good for work relationship. Your walk with God will affect every area of, of your life if you will walk with him. Now, through the doctrine given this morning, there are simply these truths. God's committed to this intimacy of relationship. Now the question for you is, will you surrender to it yourself? Will you make the decision this morning that I want to learn to walk with God as a friend?